We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Bellato. Here we are, another podcast. It's almost the end of April, Nick. So we are banging these out to the end of April. I'm excited. This is one of my favorite ones to do every year because you know me. I love the 30,000 foot view discussions about where the roster is, where it's headed, or some of the processes that went behind the Giants' decision. What were some of the themes that went into the draft? Things, uh, decisions. What are some of the themes that went into the draft? Things of that nature. And so we're going to take a 30,000-foot view today of the Giants' draft in 2023 with a focus on some of the critical things they did, like trading up, trading up twice in this draft, giving up most of their day three capital, and also the idea behind, you know, what, how does it impact how did their decisions in this class impact or how were their I'm sorry how were the decisions in this class impacted by the actual class overall Nick which is something I brought up as well on Twitter and we'll talk about a little bit today I want to I want to first get your overall thoughts and an overview of how you think the Giants approached this draft class and if they accomplished what they set out to do I think they did accomplish what they set out to do I'll say this at the start of not even just the draft class or the draft process, but even free agency, the Giants had two major holes on each side of the football. On defense, their critical vulnerability was stopping the run. They couldn't stop the run. They couldn't fit power gap. They had Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence playing way too many snaps, and they wanted to rectify that situation. They did so by getting Nacho and by signing Sean Robinson, and that significantly helped their interior defensive line. And then we know they also spent a seventh-round pick on Jordan Riley. On offense, it was, bro, we ranked it dead last in explosive plays. I don't know how many times we've said this on the podcast, but it's a lot, right? But you need to create explosive plays in the modern NFL if you want to compete. And how many times are you going to rely on just being efficient on third down and having that Jason Garrett type of offense? And I'm not saying Mike Kafka and Brian Dable have a Jason Garrett type of offense, but there were a lot of times where like, hey, Daniel Jones, it's third and seven, it's third and six. Sometimes it's third and 12. You got to make a play for us. And to Daniel Jones's credit, he stepped up and he made a play for the Giants very frequently early on in the season, how much easier would it be if the Giants could do what they did against Carolina with Sterling Shepard, where they just have like a 60-yard touchdown pass. And it's just something that was not in their arsenal. And by selecting Jalen Hyatt, by trading up in the third round and getting a player like Jalen Hyatt, that significantly assists your ability to create explosive plays, especially when you added Paris Campbell, who's an explosive play threat, and Darren Waller in the offseason. So I think the Giants significantly helped both of their critical vulnerabilities on each side of the football in this offseason in general. And during the draft, I also think the Giants, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, Dan, identified 
the fact that this is not the best draft class. So why not just punt on some of those day three picks? We can get rid of them and we can trade up and we can get the guys that we want and the guys that can really help us do what we want to do. And I personally appreciate that type of approach because it shows a type of confidence in those players, but also shows the type of conviction that Joe Shane has in his scouting, in his front office, and the type of players that they know they wanted to add. I'd rather add those players at specific positions of need, priority positions, than take swings on Micah McFadden and Dane Belton's of the world. So I liked the aggressiveness. I'm with you on this, Nick, for a variety of reasons. And I want to start by saying this. On the In the past, Nick and I have both discussed that we both view the draft as a crapshoot outside of the blue chip prospects in each class. Now, every class has a different number of blue chip prospects. We felt like this class had fewer than ever before, at least in, in our memory. But once you get past those blue chips, it is very much so a, 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 a crapshoot. Now, there's still those mid-tier guys, I think, that like part of the reason the Giants trade up from 89 to 73 was to get a player like a Hyatt versus a Matt Parrott who you get at 99, right? Like there's a very different level of prospect neither are blue chip guys but one in Jalen Hyatt feels like he has a much better chance to, to hit than the other in Matt Pear so there is a different level to it but I think what you mentioned there really taps into something I heard from Daniel Jeremiah on, Gen- on NFL Network this weekend and he said in talking to all the teams in my pre-draft process I got the feeling from them that they felt like this draft class thinned out r- much earlier than any glass tra- draft class before. So he said, while there was, a, you know, while teams did agree with what we said earlier, which is there's not as much talent at the very top, they felt like the sweet spot of this draft, the real good range of this draft was in that 20 to 75 ish range where the Giants made two picks. But they also felt like while it wasn't talent at the top, it really thinned out. Now, there were some guys that fell to day three that we didn't think should, Adabari, for example. There were definitely players in that range that we felt like were good value for teams, according to us. But I think as a general consensus, not just looking at the outlier here, the outlier there, teams felt, the Giants included, that there wasn't that much talent around 128. That was the first pick the Giants traded on day three. Their 128. They also traded another uh, fifth-round pick after that. I believe it was their fifth-round pick, and they kept the comp pick, but I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure that was the case. And so they traded a fourth and a fifth-round pick, but in that 128 range, they were along the lines of what Daniel Jeremiah was saying. They sat with most of these teams where they felt like, Versus other classes from before, there just wasn't a lot of talent in that range that they had to worry about missing up on. So normally, while you might be able to get a player like, I don't know, a Julian Love in that range, instead, it was probably more along the lines of the Micah McFadden's in that range, the Dane Belton's. And so instead of worrying about just taking another swing on a Dane Belton or Micah McFadden, like you said, they made the decision to, to go with their conviction on these players and and sit and not instead of sitting at 89, where there was a good chance that by the time they got to 89, it would fit into the range Jeremiah was discussing where on the Giants board, there simply wasn't anyone they felt really good about. They said, there still is a player we feel really good about. And he's at a position we really need. And he offers something that this offense really needs speed, pure raw speed in Jalen Hyatt. So let's go up, let's trade, let's get him. We'll give up the fourth round pick at 128 and we'll give up a chance to get a Micah McFadden or a Dane Belton. Now that was the case for this year. And I do appreciate that, Nick. And most of all, I appreciate the flexibility of it. But I will say this. In the past, and this is something we should bring up, because in the past, me and you have both discussed that we believe the better GMs are the ones who don't feel like, oh, we know better than you, right? We can outscout you. We can outsmart you. We got this thing down. Instead, the better GMs are typically the ones that view the draft as, this is a crapshoot. Let's take as many dart throws as we can. But I don't think that applies. And this is the flexibility thing I talked about with Shane. I don't think that applies for this because of the two reasons. The one, 
there wasn't that same level of prospect at 89 that there would be at 73 in Jalen Hyatt. And two, something we didn't even bring up yet, the Giants simply didn't have as many back-end roster needs to fill this year as a lot of these other teams. You look at like the Cardinals, who did a ton of trading back. You look at the Rams, who did a ton of trading back. Those are two rosters, Nick, that are barren as F on the back end. You know, like the Cardinals need a ton of back end roster guys to fill that thing out. The Rams as well. The Giants aren't a team in that boat anymore. And I think that showed, and Shane really adjusted to that, showed the flexibility to not just be like every single draft I'm going to trade back. Because remember, last year you traded back twice in round two, but it doesn't have to be every draft. It only has to be when you need it. Well, that's the. I feel like the point of when you realize you have a good general manager is the fact that he did trade back last year when you knew, and he even mentioned this in his post-draft interview, that there were roster spots to fill. You needed to add bodies. This year, not as many roster spots. You're a second year into this rebuild, if you will. But we're going to trade up and get the guys that we know we need. Because I don't think there is a stagnant approach to being a general manager. And I also believe it is dictated on the pool of players who are in that specific draft class. Last year was a better draft class than this year. This year, not as much. But you have your tiered players, and you recognize that Jalen Hyatt is a player that maybe you were considering at 25, maybe you weren't. But we know he was considering him at 57. He right. said as much. But John Michael Schmitz was still around, and they valued John Michael Schmitz. And I'm sure Bobby Johnson was pounding the freaking table for JMS. Bobby Johnson gets rewarded, but they still wanted to get Jalen Hyatt. So Jalen Hyatt is falling and falling and falling, and you see Marvin Mims go off the board, and you see Tank Dell go off the board. The wide receiver run is starting. Go up and get your guy. I don't care if you have to trade 128. I don't really care that you had to trade the 7 and the 5 to move up to ensure that you got Deontay Banks, who we like. I don't think Deontay Banks is a sure thing going to be a number one cornerback. I still think there's issues with his game that need to be ironed out. But I believe in the athletic ability, and I believe in his press ability, and I know that's what Wink Martindale wanted. You appease your coaching staff, you trust your evaluation, and you trade up when you believe you have to. But there are times where you can rest on your laurels and be like, well, let the board fall to us because we have several guys in this cluster, this tier right here, and they're all still on the board, so we don't need to get aggressive. I'm sure Jalen Hyatt was probably the last in a tier to which Joe Shane was like, he's the last guy that we want to help Daniel Jones have that explosive element of the offense that the Giants desperately lacked in 2022. So let's trade up and get him. So I love that process. To me, that is a smart process by Joe Shane. And I felt like last year was a smart process as well. Dropping back, getting more picks. I didn't love the Wandell Robinson pick. I felt like it was peculiar, but I still like the process of trading back. And to me, it just speaks to how smart and how prepared Joe Shane is in terms of roster building and how he's handling different drafts. It's not rigid. It's not the rigid Giants front office of yesteryear, Dan. Yeah, you know that it. it's a different type of front office, different style. And I even think, you know, we'll get into that a little bit later, but I think there was a more nuanced version of how he played this draft as well with the picks of Jalen Hyatt, John Michael Schmitz, and Deontay Banks. Like, there wasn't a Wandell Robinson pick. There wasn't a Josh Azudu pick. There wasn't a Cordell Flott pick. All players were hoping for, and they're betting on traits there, and they're betting on their own evaluation of the film and – meeting with these players. But in this class, it was more along the lines of guys that you could see on tape within their athletic profile, within their projection to the NFL, that they belong in the range they were drafted. And to some extent can be argued as value picks. Jalen Hyatt at 73, we had our own concerns about him, mostly being around the 25th overall pick in a draft at 73, that becomes a value gamble at that point in this profile. It just does. And John Michael Schmitz at 57 can be argued by some as a, va a massive value pick there at 57. 
I would say it's more of a pretty good pick from a value standpoint, but some are arguing it's a value pick. And I understand why some people said he was, you know, mocked him to 25 to the giants and felt like it would have been fine to take him in the first round. That wouldn't have been something they would have gone crazy about. So I think there was a little bit of a different approach even than last year, but I do think part of this was molded by the fact that he looked at the roster last year and he said, Holy crap. Dave left me nothing. I have to fill out the back end. And I don't think he expected to get to the point where he was at this year. That's the thing. I don't think if he didn't find Isaiah Hodgins, I don't think if he didn't find even players like Pinnock who are playing key special teams role, even Brightwell, who maybe he went into last draft thinking, eh, this is some holdover from the Gettleman era. We can't really get much out of him. And they get all that they got out of him last year, not only his special teams impact, but what he offered to the Giants offense at times, Gary Brightwell. And they now adjusted to the fact that we don't have as many of those back end roster spots open. We need to, we need to figure out a different plan. And that plan of attack was, wow, let's get value. Let's trade up to fill these needs and make sure we get our guy instead of, like he said, sometimes I've been in draft classes where he hasn't made that decision. He said this himself, I think after day two, where he's like, I've been in draft classes where we didn't make the decision to trade up. And then there's nothing left at the time we have our pick because for our board, there's no actual value. We're already onto that next tier of talent, you know, the different grade. I know you give grades out during your process, Nick. It's probably something very similar for them in that regard. Oh, yeah. And they're very detail oriented. How many times those giant fans has this happened to us in recent memory where teams have jumped us? We saw it just a couple of years ago within our own division when the freaking Dallas Cowboys conspired with the Philadelphia Eagles to allow the Philadelphia Eagles to get Devonta Smith. You know, the Giants were selecting Devonta Smith. Man, Devonta Smith was at freaking a Knicks game in a Yankee hat the week before the draft. I think he felt like he was going to be a New York Giant, right. too. But Philadelphia Eagles had different plans. And then if you go back to what, 2016, I think it was, with Leonard Floyd and Jack Conklin, for whatever reason, everybody knew the Giants wanted either of those two players. And what happened? I think there were two trades. I think the Titans leapfrogged and then the Bears leapfrogged and the Giants were sitting there with their asses just bare. And they're like, oh, you like Apple. So I chastised and lambasted Jerry Reese for that. In terms of Dave Gettleman, not as much because I did feel like there were other players in that draft because that was a deep draft. That I was like, yo, there's still value. Rashawn Slater is around. We need Rashawn Slater. And then, of course, he didn't go in that direction, but they traded down. And I liked that process. Kadarius Tony uh, didn't work out, but the Giants are still adding players from that trade. I'll say this, though, man. I'm, I'm happy with the way all of this was handled because I can't criticize general managers in the past for allowing teams to come up and, and take players that they were interested in and not being aggressive. And then criticize Joe Shane for being aggressive when he has conviction on these players. So I love it. I agree with you. And I also think there was a different type of approach as far as what they want to do. Like in the past, for example, you brought up that last draft with Dave Gettleman, the Canary Stoney draft. After they got their guy sniped from them with Devontae Smith, the plan was trade back and get our next highest graded playmaker. It wasn't similar to what Joe Shane did. To me, that's a yeah. horrible plan. Like the whole time, Rashawn Slater sitting on the board, they're not even considering him. Why are they not considering him? Because in their mind, no matter what, the first thing they had to do was use their top asset wide receiver. That is a really bad way to play the draft. You can't not just be looking at it like, no matter what, our first asset goes to this position, our second asset goes to that position, our third asset goes to that position. Joe Shane said it best when he was talking about it after day one. It wasn't just, let's get the top cornerback, or we need to trade up because it was the top cornerback. He had his eyes on cornerbacks and receivers there. He even had his eyes on players, which he said after the draft, you guys might not have been as, you know, they're not as sexy or they're not as considered as big needs to the Giants fan base. We don't know who those players could have been. Could have been John Michael Smith. I don't know. It could have been, I doubt it. I think it was probably more along the defensive line. It might have been like a Mozzie Smith type. Or not even That's like a Mozzie Smith. 
Yeah, maybe, maybe even Nolan Smith. I think it might have been like a Miles Murphy. Was Miles Murphy before the Giants or just no? Miles Murphy was. I think it might have been Murphy like a Miles Murphy type. Might have been who he's talking about, but something like that, right? Like we just took an edge in Thibodeau. But the point is not that. The point is the last regime had this idea, like, and I heard it the pre-draft process. I knew we weren't taking Slater because I heard from that source that no matter what, they're not looking at O line in the first round. That cannot be your process. Like that cannot be part of your process at any point. Like you can't just rule out a guy who we loved in that pre-draft process with Sean Slater. We were all over that. We were right we were right on fucking slater and if they had slater on this roster it might have been a different situation with the Neils. who cares like it's fine like we've gotten some picks out of that but the point is like your process can never be like i'm getting a playmaker for daniel jones no matter what it, you have to let the value fall how it does and that's what he did in round one that's what he did around two and then in round three that's pretty much what he did and but i think even more so in round three it was just like jalen hyatt might just be simply put like our highest ranked player by far across the board at this point like and they felt like this value this talent is really thinning out if we sit at 89 who knows what will be left especially the connections with josh heupel so i'm sure even though they had him in for a top 30 visit to get to know him you know josh heupel really well if you're joe shane you can have conversations about the work ethic mid-season from a player like jalen hyatt and i'm sure all of that checked out in terms of hypo which gave joe shane a great feeling on adding a player like that those are the types of players that this regime and really a lot of football teams want to bring in culture guys guys who are going to buy in and it seems like at least apparently jalen hyatt is going to be that type of dude and i want to talk before getting into a few of the other uh more thirty thousand foot count view concepts and things of that nature i want to talk a little bit more on the trade standpoint i've I've almost like in some ways, Nick, retooled my opinion of of the idea of having more dart throws and understanding the draft as a crapshoot. For me, I'm starting to hone in a little bit more, Nick, on I want to have a lot of dart throws in the 30 to 75 range. I think that's where I'm starting to settle in. I think one and I can expand that in some classes to 30 to 100 to 30 to 125, maybe at most. But I really feel like, Nick, the more I study the draft and the more I just look at NFL hit rates over the years, you look at the numbers, I'm not so sure I'm going to be the guy who cares as much about having day three capital as other people. I know when, when these picks are made, right, they come across Twitter. Every Giants fan's like, here it is. This is it. We got this guy. He's going to be this and this and this. He's our net. But most of the time, dude, these guys don't even make any impact or make the roster or at best they're making special teams impact where you might be able to get that off free agent wire. You might be able to get a, a veteran on a veteran, you know, a, what do they call it? The veteran minimum deal who can just simply come in and play special teams for you. Nothing else. There's no like upside long term, but maybe there's not much upside long term as far as offense or defense goes for some of these fifth and sixth and seventh round picks. So for me, it's starting to feel like I the, the whole idea of like I want as many dart throws I can get. I kind of want them in a certain range. I kind of want them in that 30 to 75, or let's just expand it to a hundred. Most classes I feel like have it all the way through a hundred. This class maybe not one of them, but the 30 to 100 range is where I'm looking to get my dart throws in. And if I don't, if, if we're talking about picks like 128 that the Giants traded this year, and what was the other, what was the fifth round pick they traded? It was one. Uh, I'm not sure what it was 151. It might've been, but I'm not, I don't quote me on that, but that range of picks, I'm more willing to trade those picks throughout. Even look at what the Eagles did in this class, right? The Eagles had no picks after the range. I was talking about, they had a ton of bulk in that, in that good range. That's that round one, two, maybe that one round one, two, three range. And then they traded back for one player they really liked on day three. But other than that, they didn't have much capital on day three. And I think that's, especially once you get to the point where you, the giants are, getting to with their roster where it's pretty good pretty solid throughout there's not that much back end holes to fill you really don't need this day three this late day three capital as much as you as, as some people think you do in my opinion it all, it all depends on where your franchise is yeah like again i feel like last year the giants 
could have valued and could have used those picks because the roster was barren this year, not as much. And again, it also comes down to situations. Situations dictate all of this. The Giants had an opportunity to get John Michael Schmitz, Jalen Hyatt, and Deontay Banks in the top 72 picks if you just trade up twice to secure and ensure that you get those players. All three of those guys, as we said, have been mocked to the Giants at pick number 25. And even though that's mock drafts, whatever, Joe Shane valued all three of those players as well. And we knew that. He had two of them in for a top 30 visit and extensive time spent with John Michael Schmitz at his pro day. We knew Bobby Johnson loved him. Joe Shane was able to get that. And to me, if someone asked him it after the draft, like, hey, if you knew that you were going to get these three players, what would you say? He'd be like, how? (laughs) How did I get them? And we know how now. And that was a small price, in my opinion, for what these three players are going to offer the Giants moving forward. That's a great point. I think that you nailed it. It's a small price to pay to get your guys that are all fit positions of major need and all in your mind, at least. And we'll see if it plays out and they're right about it. But in your mind and the consensus mind, because look, the Giants are getting a lot of A's right now in their mock draft grades, right? We know they don't meet these grades don't mean anything, Nick. And we we're not sitting here and telling you guys like the Giants got an A according to pro football focus. I got an A by CBS sports. Like this is great. That means they did a great job. They don't mean shit like the 2007 Giants draft. Their best draft ever in my lifetime was graded as a C. Like that just gives you an idea of like what these grades are worth long term but having said that it's viewed as a really good draft because of those three players that they got and their consensus viewpoint that they are worth top 73 picks and to some people in some people's mind their value at where they were taking especially Jalen Hyatt and John Michael Schmitz Deontay Banks to some degree but not as much as those um they've received a lot of great good grades before that for that exact reason so I feel like you're right um, in the sense that they felt like this is a small price to pay to get that le- those three levels to have a draft class with those three players. Because look, if you can come out of a draft, Nick, with three starting players, I think everyone would consider that a good draft class. Everyone looks at it on paper and says, well, you could get a starter at round four, round five. Oh, I like this guy in round five. I like this guy in round six. Those guys don't you look back on these draft classes, Nick, and you're getting at most one starter out of those types of classes where you have this great on paper round four pick, great on paper round five pick of just players that aren't going to make it in the NFL. Especially at positions of need. Mm-hmm. Like when value matches your positions of need and then you can marry that together by selecting that player, that's gold right there. Right. What we said before the draft, our primary position of need was cornerback. Wide receiver, I think, was our second. might have been our third, but interior offensive line was up there as well, which includes the center position. Remember, I kind of cheated the system a little bit, and I just grouped the interior offensive yeah. line together, so I was cheated. The only position that they didn't really address in this draft class was edge. And, and that linebacker, was a- and off-ball linebacker. An off-ball linebacker, but getting Bobby Okereke obviously helped that, but yeah, so we knew that when we did the, um, when we did the, the, the podcast, but... At least they got a couple of these linebackers as UDFAs, see what happens there. And they also got Baldonado at a pit for an edge. And I do believe, as we said on the last podcast, he fits what they want in terms of length and just pop on contact. That's what you want. You want to shock those blockers. Oh, you're leaving a tight end on me. Okay, cool. Well, I'm going to control your tight end and set this firm edge for my defense to contain this rushing attack that you're attempting to put on me. Last year, they couldn't really do that. They didn't really have an answer to contain those outside rushes, specifically the power gaps. Maybe Baldonado can do that if he even makes the team. Again, I don't. I think he's limited in a lot of other areas. But you focused on creating the explosive plays. You focused on covering players, which you know you need. You need man coverage, press man cornerbacks. That's what Wink Martindale had with Baltimore when he had Jimmy Smith, when he had Marcus Peters, when he had Marlon Humphrey. Right now, you have a Dory Jackson who might leave this team after this year, and then who is a sure thing. Cordell Flott, you hope 
but no, not really. Aaron Robinson coming off of a torn knee. It's very uncertain. So adding Deontay Banks is uh was 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 a home run to me. And I'm not even certain that he's going to be an excellent player at the NFL. I just think the process is smart. And I think his mm-hmm. overall athletic ability and the style that he plays with really fits with what this defensive coordinator wants to do. And I feel like he can also play in any system just because he has those athletic traits and that size. I think that's a great point too. And it's just a matter of, look, you could view the draft in a lot of different ways, but I think if you can get three starting players out of this draft out of any draft class that's a massive win that's something that if even if you look back right now we don't have the numbers in front of us nick but i think if we look back at the last decade of giants draft classes we probably wouldn't find too many classes where they got three stars and that's not to say these three players will but their conviction is that they were value enough that they have a good chance to and i think in that again that like top 75 range is where you're probably going to find most of your starters and obviously everyone has the numbers and they could be like whoa look how many starters came from udfas well obviously udfas there's thousands of udf whatever hundreds of udfas a year and there's only 32 fifth round picks or whatever it is there's comp picks now as well but that goes to show how like that's not a good you know that's not a good logical argument that some people use but Again, I'm looking at this draft. I'm looking at the draft process a little bit differently now today, Nick, thinking about it a little bit more and just thinking back at, at how rare these late round picks do end up making impact on your team. And so I'm happy with their decision to kind of move up and get their guys at three positions of major need. But let's talk about something else they did in this class that carried over from last year. And there's two things. The first one is going to be the players who they spent a lot of time with in the pre-draft process are a lot of the players they ended up drafting when it comes to the top 30 visits or in John Michael Schmitz's case, you take the guy out to dinner at his pro day. You give the, you know, you take him to a nice dinner that not every team is like, it's not like 32 teams took this dude out to dinner a day, every day in a row for the 32 days leading up to the draft. The giants are one of the only teams that did this type of thing. You know, like it's a good thing to do. I think it's like a way to cheat the system too. Kind of because like, you're not using your, you only have 30 top visits. So you don't have to technically use one of your top 30 visits here, but you're kind of getting a free top 30 visit there out of that, but just taking the guy out to dinner. And I know Joe Shane spoke about like his relationships with other general managers and things like that in the post-draft press mm-hmm. conference. Relationships with agents. So how do you think you get these dinners and you and you get these kids to go out to dinner with you? If you have a really good relationship with an agent, and I feel like Joe Shane really understands this. Joe Shane would be like, hey, can I take your guy out to dinner? They could set that up, help you with it. So just being very personable and gregarious definitely goes a long way. And I could see how Joe Shane really understands that. And I'm glad that he spoke on that in the press conference after the draft. And that's something we're going to personally, you you and I, Nick, are going to take into a lot more consideration now that we have a two-year sample size, right? The first year, we're like, oh, they took all these guys they they visited with pre-draft. They spent all this time with. It was probably just because it was uh, their first year on the job. They started in January. They didn't have a lot of time. They had to rely on these kind of things. Now we see a full year, you know, a full year process. They've been here. They've had the time to do it. And they're still drafting a lot of the players who they spent a lot of time with. So I think next process, we'll look into that. We'll see the top 30 visits. We'll see the private dinners they have with these guys. And we'll spend even more more time evaluating what those guys could potentially be for the next draft. And now, of course, in year three, Joe Shane will take nobody who had a private visit with the Giants and and we'll and we'll look back and be like, well, that we might overshot that one. But another thing I want to mention uh, about what they did in this process was ad speed. That I think was a big tre- uh, big theme for this draft class. With the first and and again, most of this focus is for me, Nick, on the first three picks because I think once you get into the the range where we took. Um, Eric Gray, though Eric Gray has a shot to make the roster, but I think once you get into that range, it's less about your your theme for a draft, and it's more about let's just take flyers on players that we believe in and one of our scout really loves or something like that, or we really love the film of. But in that first top 73 range where they have three players in this class, speed was a massive factor here, right? Jalen Hyatt 
and Deontay Banks are really good athletes and they're really fast. And what was this team lacking on offense last year? It was speed outside of Darius Slayton. There was no speed on that offense, except for when Wanda Robinson got going a little bit, but even Wanda Robinson to me is a different version of speed than maybe a Jalen Hyatt. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I think Wanda Robinson is just much more underneath, whereas he's not going to really take the top off of a lot of defenses, but he's going to make you miss on those pivot routes and, and make you miss in space, very agile, whereas Jalen Hyatt is going to stretch your defense. He's going to force those defensive coordinators to be aware of his presence out there on the field, and as we said on previous podcasts, it's going to open up so much underneath and in the intermediate part, parts of the field off of play action and also with Daniel Jones's rushing ability and Saquon Barkley, so adding that explosive threat was definitely a, a crucial part, I think, of the draft plan going in, whether that would be Jalen Hyatt, Marvin Mims, who we knew the Giants loved, had him in for a top 30 visit, or maybe even a Tyler Scott a little bit later on in the draft. And again, Tyler Scott, he went a little bit later. I think he went on day three. But Jalen Hyatt, to me, is a much better prospect than, say, a Tyler Scott, who was a former running back, and maybe there's some areas of growth that can still be realized because he's new to the position. Jalen Hyatt is a Bolitnikoff award winner. Jalen Hyatt, yes, he's coming from Josh Heupel's unconventional offense, but watch him track the football into his hands. There is some natural deep ability there. Now we just need to develop all the aspects of his game that weren't really weren't really seen too much on Saturday because Josh Heupel's offense was so damn unconventional. Yeah, and that and we spent a lot of time last season, Nick. I feel like talking about how. If we just had a little bit of a speed, more of a speed element to this offense, maybe defenses would, would give a little bit more respect to us. And I think it all came to fruition and it all came to, to a head in that Eagles playoff game where the Giants got blown out and they weren't in the game. Because if you watch back the film of that game, for anyone listening, you could see what the Eagles did. And it was simply put disrespectful to the Giants offense and their ability to win downfield. It was. They sat on every single route. They drove on every single short route. They were not letting any of that quick game work. And on all those like screens they tried and like, remember, you know, against the Vikings, we threw that little pitch outside to take on Barkley and he housed it and it was awesome. It was a touchdown. They weren't even going to give us any chance to have a perimeter run. Every single defensive back and linebacker was rallying toward the line of scrimmage with no regard and no care for getting beat over the top in the deep passing game whatsoever. Now, 
there's different ways to improve your deep pass game. I think Jalen Hyatt is a big part of it. And I also think John Michael Schmitz actors and factors into this as well. If he can provide the upgrade, we're hoping he can provide at the center position for us. And in the sense that not only is he upgrading the center position, but he's also allowing Ben Bredesen maybe to play left guard. Cause we don't know if Josh Azuda is going to play left guard next year. There's a weird neck injury going on. They said it's going to be fine, but it's not like even without the neck injury, he's some perfect left guard going right into week one. Like there's still a lot of development we need to see from Azuda as a pass blocker. But if you can get, Bredesen or Zudu to be a solid to above average pass blocker in year and and John Michael Schmitz to also be a solid to above average pass blocker in year one. Now you have the opportunity to potentially also get that deep passing game going, have defenses just respect you a little bit more so they can't have that same kind of game plan the Eagles had. And that's what we hope because that was disrespectful on offense and it was disrespectful on defense yeah. too. Because it's Almost like yeah, more we, disrespectful on defense. I think it was more disrespectful on defense uh. because it's like we hit like one, they hit one big play to Devonta Smith along the sidelines. And they're like, you know what? We're just going to not, we'll play like you guys. We're not going to throw explosive plays. We'll just try to run the football and throw these little dink and dunk types of passes. Not because gonna- they're worried about completing them, just because they don't need to. <laughs> Just because they don't need to. There's no reason to. And it was it was really disrespectful. But, hey, hopefully the Giants can get up to that level eventually. And another thing about John Michael Schmitz, though, too, is his intelligence. Like That's huge, man. You lost John Feliciano, who knew that offense. And now you're bringing in a center who is reportedly a smart guy who knows how to set protections, knows and understands what to do when the front changes in front of him. So all of those little aspects, things that are a little bit more difficult to perceive on film, but when you have a player like that, instead of forcing Ben Bredesen, who, yeah, he has played center, but now, you, like you said, he can focus on guard a little bit more. I just think having a smart guy who is really tough, who is going to eat glass, who is going to set the tone similar to what Nick Gates did, only a little bit better, I think that's going to go a long way for the Giants. Why are you smiling? Because I thought you were going to say, you didn't. You went with the eat glass thing. I thought you were going to say he knows how to pull out. I thought we were going to get another uh, one. I thought you were going to say, I, you know, just <laughs> drop the GL. He knows how to pull out. <laughs> He's <Yeah>. the kind of guy. See, I, I thought you were giggling because I said eat glass, and maybe you were thinking of you know removing the G and the L. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do think though, like the phone booth and the eat glass are terms that I hope that one day we 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 uh, uh, amend and come up with better terms in the community. Like, because I just think both of the, like eat glass. It's a fun one to say, but it's like who's eating glass, right? Like who's who's ever eaten glass? Oh, look it up on YouTube. I did. Oh, yeah. I did a John Michael Schmitz YouTube for Big Blue View. I'll probably post it on this feed in a couple days as well. And um, I wanted to, when I said eat glass, I wanted to put a video over the top as an overlay of someone eating glass, but it was just too like gross. I wanted it to be an animated one. Uh-huh. And then I realized real people were doing oh, it. And I was God. like, oh, geez. So I was like, I'm not even going to put that. That's just vile. Holy shit. That's wild. Um, Back to what your point is, though, which I think is a great point in that Okay, right. We went into this draft process and Joe Shane said when people asked him, like, oh, my God, oh, my God, are you panicking at center? He's like, no, I'm not panicking at center. I like what we have. We have Bredesen. He started talking about Shane Lemieux. (laughs) We're like, oh, God, please don't tell me we're ever going to see Shane Lemieux at center. But the point is, he acted as if we have a process already in place. We have guys we rely on. But regardless of what he said and the coach speak, or in this case, the GM speak, what you said is more important. We've never really seen Ben Bredesen at center, you know, like the mental side of playing center for Ben Bredesen, that was going to be a potential hurdle that could have screwed us in early part of the season where we need to focus on winning these games. Like every, this is going to be a much tougher schedule for the giants this year. And they're playing again in a really tough division. And so early season, if we had some stupid mishaps from a mental standpoint, from a new center playing the position, a bad snap here, a bad snap there, uh, he doesn't make the right call and a stunt gets in. That was going to be a problem. So 
getting the smartest center in this class. And I really feel like John Michael Schmitz was the smartest center in this class, listening to him interview, also reading everything I've read about him in his scouting reports and what actual, what, you know, what offensive line gurus say about him. In addition to what Joe Shane has said about him, what Bobby Johnson has said about him. That's a big factor here for that position, the high football IQ to make those calls, to be on the same page with Daniel Jones right away. And more importantly, to be on the same page with those two interior offensive linemen, whoever they may be. We know Glimpsey's probably going to be one of them, but whoever's playing left guard with, alongside him. So we don't have the situation we had that one year, like like the two years in a row where the Giants played the Cowboys early on Sunday night football. I think it was like the 16 range, the 15, 16 range. And it was like watching a, high school team against a pro team when it comes to nobody can pick up a stunt. It was just constant stunt, 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 and the offense line just letting it through, letting it through, letting it through. And it somehow even bled over a bit into the next few few years when Will Hernandez was giving up stunts. But like to not have that early on is such a blessing for this team and will be such an actual under the radar boost. And you're getting that with John Michael Schmitz too. So I thought that was extremely important as well. I thought that was a great point by you. So I, this just dawned on me. Aaron Rodgers is going to be playing the Giants again. Remember how much he spoke with respect and he revered Dexter Lawrence at the last yes. game? And who's the Jets' center now? Joe Tipman. Joe Tipman. So that's and a that. I hope that happens. Right is also a great battle too because it's Quinn and Williams against John Michael Schmitz. And so that's another tough matchup. That's going to be so, as tough. Might be his toughest matchup all year. But yes, but back to the schedule. The Giants play the AFC East. That right. is arguably one of the best divisions in the NFL. That yeah. sucks. You got Miami, you got the Jets now who are good and people are talking about Super Bowl type of team. You got the Buffalo. Patriots who Bill Belichick and then obviously Buffalo. And then you got hope- the, Sorry, you got the guys. NFC West too, bro. Ugh, that's bad too though. Cardinals suck. Cardinals suck, but so honestly we'll, we'll wait to hear this guy is going to be released May 11th. We'll do we'll do a show around that too for, of course, but I'm just praying Nick I don't pray, so I should never say I'm just praying. I'm just hoping. I'm just hoping that I've never prayed once in my life. I'm just hoping that that the Miami game and the Arizona game. Well, no, reverse. I'm hoping the Arizona game is early season. That means we yeah. don't get Kyler. That's huge. It's gonna be huge. And I'm hoping this is a this is an effed up one, but I'm hoping the Miami game is late in the season because who knows if two is gonna be healthy for late in the season for being completely honest about the situation there with Tua. It's I also mean, playing that, that game against Miami that's home. No, no, no. That one's away. Actually, that one's right. away. So you don't want your guys to play in 95 degree humidity down in Florida. Points. That's an even better point to why we don't want Miami early. So yeah, that's if you just wanted a little early schedule, uh, look ahead, root for Arizona early on our schedule and Miami late on our schedule. But um, yeah, Buffalo too. Buffalo. That's, is that in, in Buffalo? Buffalo. Ugh, in I Buffalo. want early. I want early. You want there. early. And Ugh. the other teams, I think the, the Giants plan to play the Raiders and the Saints and the Packers. So those are the three non-divisional teams that they're playing. Packers, that could be up in the air. We don't know what Jordan Love's going to do. Saints, up in the air with Derek Carr. And then the Raiders, somewhat up in the air. So I can't even like nail down any of those and be like, that's more than likely a win or more than likely a loss. We just can't really tell right now. I'm hoping that Raiders game in Vegas is a primetime game so we can go out there and, and meet up for that game and go to the game. Come out to the that. Cardinals game. That one's out here in Glendale. It has to also be a primetime game for me to ever get out to them because I don't have to work during the primetime games. But hopefully either those are primetime games. But anyway, this is not a schedule analysis yet. We'll, we'll we'll get to that when it's released. I think May 11th. But yeah, I think that was another great point by you. It's, not, it's, it's a combination because that whole smart, tough, dependable thing, which they've been preaching and practicing what they preach, honestly, with all their players – 
it shows up with John Michael Schmitz. And I'm really excited about that because that's something I didn't really think about as much until you just mentioned it about how those calls early on and being able to get up to speed immediately with the mental processing of playing center at the NFL level. It was not a guarantee for Bredesen at all. If he was just making that transition. It was not. And do you want to know something that has been making me laugh for about a month now? You know, my older brother, he's one of the corniest people you'll ever meet. The coolest non-cool person in the world, right? Like he's the nicest guy ever, but no one's going to say this guy has drip. He still wears cargo shorts. Like that's my older brother. Like he is who he is. He's been calling John Michael Schmitz, John Jacob Jingle Michael Schmitz for like months now. And now (laughs) I'm starting to see it. Oh dude. And it's been killing me, but now I'm starting to see it all over Twitter and people are doing it. And it's, when he first told me it, he does this with everybody. He like ruins like hockey players because he comes up with nicknames for like every single hockey player that is on the Rangers. And like every time I hear like, oh, this guy has the puck, the nickname just goes into my head. So it like <laughs> ruins it almost for me. But that's my older brother. But John Jacob Jingle Michael Schmitz is, is something that has been making me laugh for months. And I'm glad everybody else is uh, also putting that together because it's a pretty easy, low hanging fruit that my brother definitely took a bite of. I like that by him. That's a good one because I because I could see it and, and I can see him saying it more more so. Um, but yeah, so we're getting to some of the themes here, the speed, the idea of, of when to trade back, when to trade off. I feel like he played it really well in this draft class. Uh, any other kind of overall, th- like, let's take, let's talk a little bit now. I guess we can talk about what, what they missed in this class. So they missed on what you said before, adding to the off ball linebacker room, as far as we got Bobby O'Karake in here. But as of now, we don't have any prospects I'm in love with. I know Michael McFadden's a second year player. I, I like, I, I, if I'm going to be honest about the situation, I unfortunately like Michael McFadden a lot more in his Indiana film than his Giants film. But yeah. to be fair, it's year one and maybe it's a, it's a speed thing, right? Maybe you have to get up to the speed of the NFL level play and in year two, boom, it clicks for him mentally. I, I know you're, you're, you're a little skeptical of that. And, and as am I, but at least there's an opportunity for that. Maybe. I think you're, you're not wrong, right? Because I think he was definitely behind the eight ball in terms of his processing, but I also think he's a limited athlete, which yep. works against him. But maybe if he really cleans up that processing a little bit, he'll be able to better position himself, but it is not a great look when you were benched twice in a season he blew two coverages against the Packers four plays against the Packers on like the third series pulled you didn't see him on the football field on the defense at least until like what like the Detroit game maybe the Houston game you didn't see him for a couple weeks he just operated on special teams he earns that starting role again and they're like you know what let's go and sign Gerard Davis it's definitely an upgrade and that's just not great and then Dane Belton similar Dane Belton gets benched against Houston well he actually got benched after the Detroit game but I really think he soured with the coaching staff after that 44-yard run by Damian Pierce. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that was something they don't want to see on film. But I think back to the McFadden thing, the issue for me is while he can take that step forward mentally and start processing faster, he's still never going to profile Nick as what I want to be the compliment to Bobby O'Karake. What I want is the Dion Henley of the of not him. Or we didn't get him. The Chargers got him. But I want a Dion Henley type, somebody who – profiles as the next Michael Boley for this defense. They haven't had a Michael Boley since a Michael Boley, right? That was 2006 when Michael Boley was on the team, not 2006. I think it was like 2009 when Michael Boley played for the Giants, that 09 to 11 range and not 11. I don't think he was on the Super Bowl team, but yeah, he was, Oh, he was on the Super Bowl team, but he was yeah. injured or no, he wasn't injured. No, he played, no, he played against the Rams in like week four or five. He pegged a cameraman in the face. I do remember the peg when he ran to the end zone on that pick six. It was like not even pick six. It was like the weirdest play. It was like one of those laterals behind the line of scrimmage that everyone thought yeah. was an incompletion of the balls, just like sitting there, no whistle blown. He just like scoop and scored it. Must, must have been the easiest play of his life. But point is, I'm still looking for that coverage linebacker. And 
We didn't get it in this class. We didn't really take any swings on it. We talked about the two guys they signed as UDFAs. You know me, Nick. I'm not going to bank on UDFAs to be my our next coverage linebacker. I'm hoping I can get lucky and you Victor Cruz it. But there's a Victor Cruz once every 20 years, essentially, for the Giants, if that. So hopefully that's the case. And that's probably too hard by uh high of a bar to set because Victor Cruz was like an elite at the time, you know, at the peak of his game, he was like one of the best receivers in the NFL, the best slot in the NFL. So maybe you can get to that second level of just being a coverage linebacker. That's effective, but we didn't get that. We didn't address that. That's the first thing we missed in this draft. We also didn't address safety. I think that's a very interesting one where we're at with safety position. The giants. Well, we did. We got Javarius Owens. Yeah. But again, seventh round pick for me is is not really addressing the position. It's, it's, it's something um, to me, it's not too far off from the UDFA. I'm I'm saying really with the premium for, for me to consider anything addressed, Nick, I'm I'm looking top a hundred at this point for anything that I would consider a fair potential to play or a good bet to make that you could be a starter in year one or, or, and honestly, once you get into round seven and six range, I'm thinking, you're less likely to be a starter at any point. It's not just like, oh, year one, you you, you develop, and then year two, you start. It's you're mostly going to be here for special teams. Maybe we get lucky and hit lightning in a bottle. So we didn't really take any premium picks at the safety position. Where do you think that leaves us as safety heading into the uh, heading into training camp and the OTAs? I think Bobby McCain's going to be the starting safety, and I think they're going to rotate players. But you still have Darnay Holmes on the roster. I'm curious to know what they think of Trenton Thompson, the UDFA last year out of San Diego State, who spent basically the entire season on the practice squad. They seemed like they were high on him. And then you have Jason Pinnock. Gets a bad rap around Giants Twitter, but I feel like he's a very competent player who is explosive, who is long, who is physical. So I think he can operate on the back end as well. You didn't really get that upgrade. You lost, right? You're in the net negative right now because Julian Love, who is not better than Xavier McKinney, but you could at least make a somewhat plausible argument that he does a little bit more than Xavier McKinney because of the versatility that he had and the fact that he was more reliable because Xavier McKinney broke his hand in Cabo. I know it's a freak accident, but it happened. And Julian Love had to really step up in that situation. He was also a team captain. Now he's not here. And you get Bobby McCain, who I like. I think Bobby McCain is a good player. I think Bobby McCain is a versatile player. I think he can play man coverage. I think he's not going to pop you on contact and run support, but he can be a speed bump for you add him and I think he can execute that role you're still losing out at that position now can your upgrades at cornerback really help your secondary if you're losing out at the safety position we'll have to wait and see but I overall you got to look at the entire all 11 who are out there the fact that the Giants made the investments in their front seven at interior defensive linemen a Sean Robinson and Nacho that's crazy bro along with Leonard Williams who's still there Leonard Williams is still there, you know, we'll have to wait and see if he is, you know, week one, but he's still there, Dexter Lawrence, and you add Bobby Okereke, your defense should be, theoretically, much better, but you do suffer because you aren't adding that safety, but I'll say this too, man, this was a weak safety class, for one, and secondly, you lost out on several draft picks because you traded up, so when were they going to add that safety if it wasn't in the seventh round? Right. I mean, the only other opportunity they had was to take Quan Martin, but he was taken even before the Giants picked at 57. So they would have had to trade up from that 57th overall pick to take him. At least that's the only opportunity we felt. Obviously, Sidney Brown went a few picks after John Michael Smith as well. I guess they could have uh, taken Sidney Brown instead of JMS type. Um, I think both of us are much happier to get JMS than I. I'd honestly prefer JMS over Quan Martin just because I like to I don't love the bet. The safeties to me are, are some of the tougher bets to make. I feel like so many safeties flame out that I expect to be good at the NFL level. Darian Thompson was a player. When the Giants drafted Darian Thompson, Nick, I thought he was going to be a stud for us, an absolute stud of a player. And 
he just was was never that at the NFL level or, you know, third round pick. His tape at Boise was really fun. He was a ball hawk. So, but it is interesting. You say Bobby McCain will start. I think you're right. But I wonder if Bobby McCain will play the same role Julian Love played. That's the bigger question for me. I think the answer is probably no from the versatility standpoint and all the different hats he wore. But it also might be, the answer might also be no from the snap standpoint, right? Like Julian Love played an insane amount of snaps. So even if McCain is the starter, I'm curious if he'll get that same amount of snaps. And if not, is that when we start to look into, okay, we need a year two jump from a player like Dane Belton. And I'm still holding out hope that's possible. I'm also looking at Trey Hawkins and I haven't watched his film yet. But I know he's a physical player. I know he's a long player. So those two things combined make me be like, do they maybe think he could project to being a safety? Now, I don't see that happening in week one because he's coming in from Old Dominion and only had two years at that level of football. Now he's coming to the big leagues and playing in the NFL. But maybe that's something that Wink Martindale wants to do. It's something he did in Baltimore. He took college cornerbacks who were a little bit bigger of size, who were physical, and he would move them to safety. So... I don't think it's crazy to at least imagine a path to where some of these back-end cornerbacks that the Giants get, whether it be UDFAs or Trey Hawkins type, he moves them to safety if they are willing and run support and they can execute the angles and they are smart enough to know exactly what the hell they're doing on the back end. I like that call a lot, and that's something we'll keep an eye on as we move forward through the offseason. Can Trey Hawkins potentially, because we talked about it before, how when we're looking at six and seven round picks, we're mostly focusing on special teams, but... And I know you're saying like, oh, shit, if we're focusing on a, a dude who's a six round corner from ODU and we're now asking him to change positions, can we expect any snaps from in year one? It's probably unlikely. I understand that. But it's intriguing to me because you never know what they view him as. They're looking at him right now as just a ball of clay with awesome athletic traits and length, everything they want and physicality. What can they make that into? Exactly. But we also can't ignore Dane Belton either. Yeah, that's what I, yeah, I really think there's a chance. It should be right. Even though he got benched doesn't mean, I mean, he played down the stretch. He played a couple snaps against Minnesota. I think he made like one okay play against Minnesota. He didn't flash like Cordell Flott did in his what two snaps <laughs> against Minnesota, but uh, he's the, the easy shoe in, if not Bobby McCain, because I think the giants drafted him to be that player. Now, I think the comments that Joe Shane has made throughout the offseason, they're interesting because at least it, it gives you the impression that he's looking at some of those defensive draft picks and being like, I wouldn't draft you knowing what I know now. And it's not even necessarily because you suck. It's because I wasn't operating with the same understanding of what our defensive coordinator wants in these players. Yep. And he didn't make that comment just offhand. Like I think he said it like in two different interviews right. too. I think he said it in the pre-draft one and then he also said it at the um, when he was out here in Arizona during um, the owners' meetings, so to me, the two players that that is really like really highlighted there is Dane Belt and Micah McFadden. So it could be nothing, but I think he said that for a reason. Yeah, that's interesting, and that could be even something to keep an eye on. Where we're talking about these guys potentially making impact snaps wise on defense, but could it be the other way? Could it be these guys are fighting for roster spots? That's yeah. not out of the realm of possibility, in my opinion. That goes to kind of my overall point that I've said a bunch on this on this specific podcast. When you get to these fifth, sixth, seventh round type picks, stop thinking of them as like, these are guys that are definitely on the roster. These are guys we're definitely making bets on long term. I think they're more just gamble dart throws. You hope you hit it. You hope there you, you get that flash, but you may be willing to on these types of picks move on sooner than later because you might know after a year like, we thought we, you know, maybe there was going to be something there. Maybe we can see already that probably long term there isn't going to be something there. Dane Belton's peripheral vision and just yeah. spatial awareness, like it really, it, it's better suited for zone coverage. But 
having that trait because the Giants run zone. It's like, yeah, they're press man, but it's not like they're out there running press man 100% yeah. of the time. I still think like that, you know, you have him as a safety too high pre-snap drop down, buzz him down. He does a really good job kind of anticipating what the quarterback is doing and understanding the route concepts. It's one of the reasons why he had five interceptions back at Iowa during his junior season. So I would be pretty pissed off if he did not make this team. I just don't know if he is ready to step up and be that full-time safety opposite of Xavier McKinney. If I had to put my money on somebody, it would be Bobby McCain. Yeah, and a good point to that. It's like how differently we would be thinking about him, and not we specifically, but like the collective we as Giants fans, if those three plays, and I think it was either three or four plays that he came very close to making an interception on last year was this close, were actually just, oh, they landed in his hands, intercepted. It's a whole different ballgame. Now we're talking about, wow, a fifth-round pick in year one had three interceptions in X amount of snaps. It's like a small amount of snaps. This guy projects as a great – like a you know, project this over the course of a full season. He could have six picks type of thing. I think you are right. You are on the, like you're onto something and they might see that they're onto something too, when it comes to Belton, as far as that buzz roll, like buzzing down, it's just a matter of like, can he do everything else? Can he do the rest of the things complete that make them like, is he not going to blow that play you talked about with Damian Pierce, where he takes the horrific angle and it's like, holy shit, a run that could have been eight to 12 yards is now 48 yards. He had, I think, what, one interception or two? Inter he had two interceptions last year. And I think they were both at the back end of the season. One of them was, I think, in that bullshit Eagles game when everyone was benched. I think it was the last uh, oh, yeah. week 18. But he could have had like three more. One against Carolina, which was his first game when he was playing deep half and he had the range to get to the sideline. It was a boundary throw, but still, he narrowly came away with that one. And then he almost had two against Lamar Jackson. One of them in the red zone against Mark Andrews where the ball like bounced off his freaking helmet. And then another one where he was just sitting in the zone, the middle zone, and Lamar didn't really anticipate the fact that he was in the throwing lane and he almost came away with that one. I think there's another one that we're forgetting too. And I don't remember exactly what game. Might have been the Texans game. Might have been the Detroit game before he was benched. But regardless of the fact, he puts himself in a position to at least make those plays, which not a lot of fifth round picks are doing. So I, I like the upside there. So I hope Honestly, he can really not a lot of giant safeties were doing last year, to be honest. True. Yeah, yeah, no, not a lot. I mean, Julian Love's interceptions even were were tip pass. Like the yeah. Cowboy one was a tip pass that kind of landed right in his bread basket. I mean, good for being over the top of those receivers and being in position in that manner. But it wasn't like well, Lamar one was interesting because he kind of baited him into it. That was probably his best one. Oh, easy. Uh, yeah. Yes, can't yeah. yeah, can't overlook that one. Especially, yeah. dude, what a crazy loss for the Ravens that was. I've been yeah. so pissed. Yeah, no, their offense just melted down, and then Kayvon gets it that strip sack. Yeah. <laughs> Two turnovers in that game. You're right. It was a meltdown. Um, but also, uh, you know, one of the defining moments I thought for the Giants season for me, because that was when I was like, oh, shit, they actually beat a decent team. Like, I wasn't sure if the Titans were still good. I, at the time, I was like, damn, the Ravens are Lamar's healthy. This is still a good team. Um, so anyway, anything else uh, draft, anything else kind of 30,000 foot view? Because we're, we're, we don't need to get into everything roster wise. I'm going to want to talk about like one thing I like, for example, it's a small thing, but I like how because this is nothing to do with the draft. It has to do with what we did before the draft. And we like I keep saying it, the Giants did before the draft. But one thing I liked is by adding Nacho and Ashawn Robinson, they didn't have to use that third round pick at defensive tackle or interior yeah. defensive lineman. I knew they were going to be tempted to do otherwise. And I just didn't want to do it, dude. I wanted that to go to a pass position. And I was like so sure of that. And when we got Ashawn signed or the Giants got Ashawn signed and when they got Nacho signed with Ashawn, it gave them the opportunity to be like, all right, this may not be our long-term plan on the interior, but we don't have to go this class. We can have the luxury to take a different position if the value fits. And I 
those positions they took wide receiver and center could help the passing game. I'm not so sure like Broderick, whatever the kid from Western Kentucky, Broderick Martin was going to help the giants passing game in any way in year one. He's a mountain of a man. The giants had him in for a top 30 visit, So there was interest, but if the giants spent the third round pick, even if they didn't trade up on Broderick Martin, I would have been pretty probably upset about that. And they might have had to if they didn't get Nacho and Ashawn. They might have been like, what the hell are we going to do otherwise? We can't have Dexter Lawrence playing 84% of the snaps again in a season, right? And Leonard Williams, the same thing. So it gave them a good position there. That's something they could have done, you know, at other positions, but I like that they did it on interior defensive line. Same here. And I think Ashawn, too, that's a really good run defender that you added. And he has some some upside as a pass rusher just because he competes his ass off nacho very good run defender again not really a pass rusher but that's what the giants needed you have two guys who can get after the passer on the interior defensive line and not even to a good rate to a near elite rate in terms of dexter lawrence a certain elite rate and we saw in 2020 that leonard williams was elite at doing the same thing as well it's just he's been injured last season so maybe he can recollect he's still only 29 years old that's not that old so you have two premier interior pass rushers and now you have two premier run defenders and you can also say both Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams are premier run defenders as well when they are healthy. So that defensive front is so much better looking right now than it was just a short while ago. You want a strong rotation up front. You added Jordan Riley. You have DJ Davidson. I don't know if there's going to be a roster spot for both of them. And last year, there was definitely a roster spot for both of them. So that's just a great situation that was rectified because they needed to do something about it. And defensive line depth is probably one of the most important positions you can find depth on because obviously you want it at receiver and corner, but it's a lot easier, uh, harder to get there, in my opinion, at least than it is to get on defensive line. So I like that they did that as well. All right, Nick, any final thoughts, final 30,000 foot overview thoughts about the Giants draft? And well, again, we'll get into discussion, big discussions on the position groups as well throughout the offseason. There's a lot of time left, but just more so like 30,000 foot view on their process, their draft, things of that nature. No, I just love the fact that Joe Shane isn't predictable and he just does what he believes and what the team believes, including the coaching staff, is the best course of action for the New York Giants now and moving forward. He's not irrational. He's very well thought out and detail and process oriented. So I just appreciate having that type of general manager in house. I have one more that I'm, that I'm going to throw out there. And I know at times you felt like this might've been part of the process in the past. I wasn't as convinced, especially with the Shermer days, I guess a little bit more so with the judge days, but I still wasn't as convinced. I like that this regime, it really seems like it is a collective effort, right? Like Brian Dable was the one who made the call to make the trade down with Sean McVay. And you got two guys who bang the table for their guys, Jerome Henderson, bang the table for Deontay Banks, um, Bobby Johnson, bang the table for John Michael Schmitz. It wasn't just Joe Shane putting his foot down and saying, I've been doing this for 40 years. I know the best. It's my final decision type of thing. Well, they're friends. Like Joe Shane and Brian Dable are friends. It's not just a working relationship. These guys are going to Rangers games together. They're going to Nick games together. Could you imagine Joe Judge or Pat Shermer going out with Dave Gettleman? And you see them just, no, that's not the way it works. Like this doesn't really work like this really anywhere. That's why it was so obvious that the Giants were going to hire Brian Dable when they hired Joe Shane. It was like, these guys have a really close relationship and they know each other very well. So it made all the sense of the world. And so far it's looking damn sexy. And some people might view that collective effort and that more of a group effort as a bad thing because you think, well, if you're drafting guys for position group, uh, for position coaches and coordinators, what happens when those guys leave to go to other jobs? 
But I think the Giants are in a pretty fair spot right now regards that. Wink Martindale, I just don't see a head coach job coming his way, unfortunately for him. I'm not saying he couldn't do it. I think he'd be a great coach in the NFL. But the way the NFL is trending right now, they're either taking a young – they want the young offensive mind. But if they don't get the young offensive mind, they're just taking a young defensive mind. D'Amico Ryans, uh, the guy who went to the Chargers, Brandon Staley, a couple of years ago. The winks of the world aren't really getting the offers right now. Vic Fangio got one offer. It didn't really work out for the Broncos. Now he's taking coordinator jobs, and I think that'll be his path the rest of the time, despite a lot of people viewing him as one of the best defensive minds in football. So I feel like we're going to be safe there. And then offensively, we might lose – the Giants might lose Mike Kafka, but at the same time, I don't know if there's like – I think Brian Dable can – can fit can can fit around that type of thing, and not much, in my opinion, is going to change schematically if they lose Mike Kafka. Now you might lose out on the situational play calling. Yes. You'll lose out on a preparation planning. Red zone, being, red zone could be an issue. Red zone being the primary voice in Daniel Jones. You're, you'll lose out on that, but I still think Brian Dable has his own philosophy that him and Mike Kafka somewhat share, and whoever Brian Dable brings in to be the offensive coordinator is going to share that similar type of philosophy. Right. And then therefore you don't get burned then when you, when you give the position coach, the guy he wants or the coordinator, the guy he wants. And so I like the collective effort as well. That's probably my final thing I'm going to throw out there. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is a 30,000 foot overview of the giants draft process, more content to come throughout the off season and next week, as we still hone in on some draft reaction, we're going to do draft grades for the NFC East. I know you guys like that last year. We're actually going to expand it a little bit this year for the YouTube audience uh, and the podcast audience and do Grades of the entire class, because I feel like both Nick and I feel like we studied this draft probably more than any class that I, at least I feel like I've ever studied. So I'm excited to look at all the drafts and see which ones we like the most. I want to hear what you like the most. And just also, it's going to be fun and a good process. I think, Nick, just look at the process of these other teams and compare it to what the Giants process was in the draft and how different teams look to build in different ways. So all of that and more to come. Otherwise, have a great week. We will talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.